This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Tuesday. Hard to believe it's already July 5th. We hope all of you had a fantastic 4th of July weekend, had the time to celebrate a little bit of what this country means to you folks. Thanks for joining us today. We are going to be talking a lot of issues in agriculture today. Glenn Tonser of K-State will be joining us here in just a little bit to talk about the meat demand monitor. And in segment two, we're going to talk weather. Greg Solier joins the show, the meteorologist from this This week in agribusiness, we'll take a look at this hot and humid weather over the central parts of the United States. And in segment three, Darren Newsom of Newsom Analysis will be joining us. If you got up early today and you checked your market app on your phone, you have no doubt noticed that we are seeing a lot of red on the screen today in the grain markets. Darren will give us his insight on what's developing here in the commodity market trade. First of all, though, let's take a look at meat demand. Folks, this last week we saw the Commerce Department release information showing that consumer purchases had slowed down. We're starting to see these high prices weigh on consumers buying decisions. And I'm curious, are we seeing that develop in the meat space? Joining us to talk about it is Glenn Tonser. He's an ag economist there at Kansas State University. And every month he compiles the meat demand monitor. Just got the data for the month of June. Glenn, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure to be on, Mike, and happy July 5th. Well, thank you, sir. Let's talk about consumer demand. Glenn, are we starting to see U.S. consumers maybe pull back from the meat case a little bit? The short answer would be yes. And I'm going to sound a little bit like a repeat to your listeners that listened to you and I touch on this last month. Um, as you noted, the meat demand monitors beef and pork checkoff funded gives us a ongoing contemporary pulse on lots of things in the meat space. And the summary statement would be is both beef and pork demand is down from May. So when I say that, I'm referring to the month of June compared to the month of May. Uh, we still have year-over-year uh, demand strength, so we haven't weakened compared to you know prior before the pandemic and so forth. But I think narrowly here within 2022, as the second quarter concluded now, or now in Q3, is we continue to see evidence that consumers indeed are tightening their financial belts. So you alluded to it with your, um, you know, your opening comments, and I think it applies in the meat context as well. Glenn, where are we seeing this have the biggest impact? Are they pulling away from beef more than pork? Are they pulling away from alt proteins? How are they shifting their behavior? So demand for all proteins is down in June compared to May, so kind of across the board statement. When we get into relative magnitudes, there's a little bit stronger decline or larger loss of demand, if you like, on a ribeye steak demand, which is the steak higher in category in the beef space that I track compared to ground beef. And that's not surprising. Um, you know, of the two, ground beef's closer to a staple, and ribeye steak would be more of a luxury item, at least for some in the house, um, you know, around the country. So it's not surprising that steak demand has slipped a little bit more. Um, if you subscribe to the theory that I do, that net pay is declining for a lot of households, uh, primarily because inflation, right, and wages aren't keeping up. So multiple expenditure categories for every household are being tightened. And I think protein overall remains in good space. Um, interest in protein and so forth remains good. There's other indicators we have that aren't necessarily demand-oriented, just kind of inclusion in your diet that's in this ongoing survey. But at the end of the day, the willingness to pay, how much you'll pay per pound, has slipped some. And I think that's just, you know, net consumer incomes are down and everything has to give some. Right. They're, they're, they're stretching their dollar in new ways and some things are going to get the cut. Glenn, I want to ask you about that willingness to pay figure that uh, that you publish in the Meat Demand Monitor. Is that based on what consumers have actually paid or is it a question, how much would you be willing to pay for X product? Yeah, it's the latter. And for the, you know, there's probably only 10 geeks that listen to this besides you and I uh, that want the details on this, Mike, but it's all posted on our Ag Manager website. They're welcome to dig into it. Uh, we ask folks a series of nine questions and we vary the prices. So in one, one question, you might be presented a high chicken breast price and a low ground beef price. And in the next one, it might be the reverse. And then the third one, you might have a cheap plant-based protein patty option and so forth. So we're using variation in prices across multiple questions to back out what consumers say they would pick. And I am cross-checking that with what I'd call diary questions. So what did they have yesterday? So they're called prior day meal uh, there's information in every report we put out monthly um, on if beef was in your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
So to answer your question is what they say they would do, and we cross-check it with what they said they did yesterday. Fascinating. Glenn, on those prior day meals, of course, you're you're also determining whether or not folks are dining at home or they're going out to restaurants. What have you seen there? Has there been a shift in consumer behavior towards going out more as COVID has uh, lessened? So a small decline in consuming away from home. And I don't think that's, I mean, again, there's always mental things going on. So you make the comment as COVID has lessened. Uh, certainly more restaurant traffic than there was two years ago. Sometimes when we compare, but I think again, as people are tightening their financial belts, they're they're either eating out less, or when they go eat out, they're eating ground beef instead of ribeye, right? Or maybe a pork chop instead of uh, something else. So it, the foot traffic to restaurants is up compared to two years ago, but it is slipping a little bit, consistent with my earlier comment. So when I said beef demand was down more narrowly, beef and pork demand is down compared to May both at the grocery store and food service. All right. So we're seeing it throughout the the value chain here for food supply. And I'm curious, Glenn, I know you get to the chance to do some ad hoc questioning in each survey. And I know you've been asking consumers, how has their behavior changed due to high prices? And what were their responses this month? Yeah. So the main point would be is they, they continue to anticipate higher retail meat prices to the tune of about 3% higher is what they're expecting the upcoming month on the beef and pork uh, products we look at. And when I followed it up and asked, you know, how, what changes you're making here in 2022 uh, in the face of higher prices, you know, there's still about a third that say they're not making any change. And I always highlight that when this question comes up, Mike, because we're a large country with lots of people, uh, particularly those that have stable, if not growing incomes and the like that want protein, they're not making changes. You know, that's good for the industry. Uh, conversely, those that have this net pay decline, which I think hits the majority of households, they are making some changes. And the most common change they're making in these ad hoc questions you're alluding to is we find people are buying the same product. So the same branded or not branded, same, you know, cut size, package size, those kind of things. They're just buying a little lower volume. And I think as the rest of 2022 goes forward, we're going to see that play out both from a supply and demand perspective, particularly beef. We're going to have less beef hitting the market as we go from now to Christmas. And if something doesn't change on net pay for consumers, I think we run the risk of demand decline as well. Pricing those consumers out of the market entirely. Glenn, I know you also track alt proteins, the alternative of various types of protein. Have you seen any big changes to their demand structure? So specific to you know this May versus this June, there was not much change in the demand, specific for plant-based patties is the category we're looking at. Uh, when we compare to prior year, um, the June values were slightly higher than they were June of 2021. And your listeners might remember that I highlighted in May, uh, the May of 22 values were below May of 21. So if you put a bow on that, it varies a little bit month to month. Uh, I'm now comparing across two months reports to answer your question. But the strong growth and the hype in that category certainly appears to have stalled. And that should not be surprising given there's a lot of macroeconomic, right? I kept using the term net pay decline. All I'm saying there is people's wages aren't keeping up the cost of living. Um, when that occurs, higher expense categories of plant-based proteins are probably going to struggle. Yeah, the luxuries get cut pretty quick, folks. That's Glenn Tonser. He's an economist at Kansas State University. You can get the information that he publishes at agmanager.info. Fantastic repository of data for agriculturalists. Glenn, thanks for joining us here today. Thanks, Jimmy. I'm Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk weather with Greg Solier when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are kicking off an all-new program called The Monthly Grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 12th for our big kickoff. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and will share all of the details surrounding The Monthly Grind. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 12th. It's a show you don't want to miss.
The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders. The baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Head to toe, everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Thanks for tuning in to us today. We appreciate you joining AOA for for today, really, to, to get your week fired off here after the 4th of July holiday. And for a lot of folks in this country, that 4th of July holiday yesterday was a hot one, and that hot air continues to be in the vicinity today across a lot of the central U.S. Joining me to talk about the weather today and in the future is Greg Solier, Chief Meteorologist for This Week in Agribusiness. Greg, how was your Fourth of July was it a little toasty there in Northeast Illinois? Uh, it certainly was, and, and, and quite stormy as well, with uh, a number of spots from southern Wisconsin here into north and northeast Illinois uh, that picked up an inch to two inches worth of rain. And those rains are moving through north and northeast Indiana, western Ohio. So at least some of the drier reaches of uh, that particular part of the Corn Belt is in the early stages uh, on what will be a significant, some spots almost prolific rain pattern. There may be a half a foot of rain in parts of northern Illinois here the next 36 to 48 hours. And those rains, maybe not six inches worth, but they are forecast, uh, at least if we take a look at the eastern Corn Belt, the drier reaches there and some moderate drought into east central Illinois. Those reaches are anticipated to come up with significant moisture here. Some of them may run off may come at a price of severe weather, as we're seeing over northwestern parts of South Dakota this morning, uh, but uh, at least some element of recharge expected in that part of the Corn Belt here as we move on through this first full week of the month of July. Absolutely, Greg. With those storms that have generated some severe weather in the Dakotas, is that expected to continue all day long? Uh, yes, absolutely. And here we are, you know, in the uh, early to mid-morning hour, depending on your time zone, and we already got the things uh, rocking and uh, socking out uh, towards, let's see, north and northeast of the Black Hills, up towards the Cheyenne River Reservation area around Lemon. Uh, some strong storms, severe weather warnings there. That kind of eases down to gentle rain as you get over uh, southwestern and southern parts of North Dakota. And we will see significant and have seen in some areas already some significant uh, rainfall, the first of perhaps two or three batches of rain to come through areas of Big Sky Country, Wyoming. Uh, this afternoon, uh, for folks listening to us over uh, South Dakota, particularly from the Black Hills over to the Corn Palace Sioux Empire region, then trailing back over the northeastern part of Nebraska, there is an enhanced risk, meaning it's going to happen, folks, uh, of severe weather this afternoon with large hail, damaging wind, tornadic activity. And again, we're seeing some early signs of that 
over northwestern parts of South Dakota. A couple of reports of 60-mile-an-hour winds and inch and three-quarter inch size hail in some of those storms at the current time. And here we are again in the early to mid-morning hours. So just put some daytime heating on that and kind of run the northern periphery of some of this uh, intense heat and high humidity, and no doubt about it, we will ring out some substantial rainfall, not to mention severe weather aspects this afternoon and that aforementioned corridor, and that will extend probably into the early to mid-evening uh, hours as well. All right, so we got this big rain event taking place here. That kind of sounds like it's a slow-moving deal over the next several hours. Then, Greg, take us out here to the rest of the week. Does this queue up an active pattern for the remainder? Uh, it, it will, at least as it applies to the central plains, again, the central and southern core belt locales as well. I think areas that probably will get missed out. The atmosphere is too hot, capped, as we call it, officially in the weather business. You can't get the air parcels to rise. The environment's warm. You lack buoyancy. And so you get out towards, uh, uh, for example, St. Louis and maybe into the far southwestern Corn Belt, these central plains. There may not be much going on. But you could make a good point. These are almost repetitive storms, what we call back-building or training storms, one right after another, just like the locomotive and boxcar system you see on the rail lines going through the uh, rural countryside. So it's one after another after another. They move along pretty quickly and it's usually a, but a repeat and recur over a same area and it's how you come up with these big rainfall totals and not to mention the severe weather aspect of uh, hail and high wind but yeah everything that propagates southward and we do have a break coming uh, from the heat and humidity they'll send readings ahead of the storms in Nebraska up around past 100 again this afternoon 100 degree heat expected tomorrow central and southern Kansas Oklahoma and Texas but again there is relief in store, nothing probably to wrap up winter wheat harvest in those central and southern plains areas. We could certainly go for some rain in the pasture lands areas, but there is relief for livestock and cattle operations in those southern plains areas later on this week with cooler, drier air. That should really ensconce many areas of the northern plains, the western and northern Corn Belt, and the Midwest here, but again, have to get past the stormy weather pattern over the next 48 to 60 hours. Well, and with that stormy weather pattern, Greg, as we've been talking, you mentioned these things coming around the northern plains, wrapping around the top edge of that heat dome, and then, of course, working their way southeast. Uh, that leaves our friends in the southern plains really high and dry. That drought continues to intensify across New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma panhandles. Greg, do you see any shift changes coming that could bring some some needed moisture to that part of the country? You know, outside of maybe, you know, an errant monsoon storm, and sometimes we can get that monsoon moisture to kind of propagate in the, on the uh, backside of that hot high, come up through to Mexico, Colorado, the western parts of Oklahoma, Texas, uh, and Kansas, and maybe you get a thunderstorm, but you know, those kind of things are all or nothing. Ten drops of rain or five inches of rain, it, it just all basically runs off and comes with uh, the severe weather element. So, uh, you know, this time of the year, it's just you cannot, unless you bring a tropical system out of the western Gulf through Texas and Oklahoma, you know, in that part, and we just don't see that happening right now. Late in the summer, it might, uh, but in the short term of it all, if you will, the next, you know, a month or two, I do not foresee much, if any significant improvement in the uh, western and southwestern high plains, worsening Kansas and Oklahoma where we've seen improvement and I would be surprised even some of those western and uh, southwestern fringe corn belt areas are going to be right on the cusp of some problems. Eastern areas I think we're pretty confident that the rains at least will come through after this uh, rain this week in a little more timely regular fashion not that we'll completely alleviate the dryness and drought but better rain prospects there but for the plains the western half of the plains many areas of the plains for that matter don't foresee much improvement we'll have to probably get into the fall season before we get things going out there with moisture in mind. That makes sense, Greg. I just pulled up the drought monitor to take a look at, at how things stood nationally across the country, and I have, am seeing a pretty big expansion of dryness across the southeast from Georgia to Mississippi up to, yeah. well, as you mentioned, that east central part of Illinois, that big triangle there. Is there any possibility of some Gulf systems to move in and bring some moisture to the eastern Corn Belt here in the short term? Yeah. Uh, at least in the, you know, outside of these frontal boundaries, that's the way we'll generate it. But we do foresee, again, a very busy Atlantic Basin and uh, Gulf of Mexico Basin uh, tropical weather season. Things are quiet now. Upper-level winds have been in what we call a trough position. They've been shearing any development out of the Atlantic and the southwest. We had some development uh, last week or the week before, just little easterly waves. Uh, but I think with time, that's the only way, again, to see some semblance. You get a lot of runoff with these tropical systems that are in remnant form, but that's really the only way that southeastern corridor, and it is worsening. We were just out in North Carolina uh, last 
last weekend. It is very dry in that area down through Georgia. You get a little teleconnection up into parts of the Corn Belt locales as well. But, uh, yeah, that southeastern section of the country promising to be busy as we get into the height of the tropical weather season and up and down the Atlantic seaboard. That is a trademark of a La Nina setup. Weak winds with time in the Atlantic along for those tropical systems to get going. All right, Greg, I need you to gaze into your crystal ball for me here. We've talked about this expansion of dryness. The southeast is seeing it. We're seeing it in Illinois, parts of northwest Iowa. Almost the entire state of Nebraska is in some form of dryness or drought. Similar story in South Dakota. Greg, should we be prepared for a large-scale drought this summer? What do you think here as you look out in the, the weather forecasting models that you use? Yeah, uh, and, and and those are model based. They're they're old school tech, you know, techniques, Air Force uh, uh, methods, stuff that we learned with a gentleman. Maybe some folks can recall this gentleman by the name of Earl Finkel. That's how I cut my teeth in the weather business, uh, and been in it for 30 years. If you were kind of you know roughly pencil in the line, I think it's still that Missouri River Valley and Missouri River and West and South. It's the worst of it. Modest improvement with time, not completely ending until we get into the fall season, winter season over the southeastern part of the country. I think those same areas are still into play. Until we knock down and quit La Nina, that's not going to end until probably the fall or early winter season. But pretty much what you see, what you get, with the exception of maybe some modest improvement in those eastern Corn Belt and southeastern sections of the country. There may be pockets of dryness still, but generally speaking, uh, there'll be improvement with time considering the time of year, summertime and all that in the southeastern sections of the country too. All right. So you do anticipate this La Nina to slowly start to fade as we get down to the end of 2022. Yes, slowly. It has ramped up again, kind of a second or a third encore. So, uh, yeah, there hasn't been much improvement as in uh, getting those waters in the Pacific to east back to normal temperatures and the various oscillation indices in the Atlantic and the Pacific and then the uh, at least the Arctic Circle of Stratosphere are still in this moderate to strong La Nina setup and no sign of substantial weakening or breaking down of it until uh, later on this summer. Once that happens, maybe we get into a more significant weather pattern, you know, the fall season, the winter season. Uh, the wet season begins October 1 in California, uh, and there's another part of the country that's in a world of hurt as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I think we still have weeks, if not months, to go on this particular setup here with uh, dryness and drought. Roughly the western, southwestern half of the country, localized improvement over the remainder. All right, folks. Well, you can hear Greg Solier's forecast every weekend on This Week in Agribusiness with myself and Max Armstrong. Greg, always appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us here today. You betcha, my friend. Have a great week. And folks, stick around. Darren Newsom of Newsom Analysis will be joining us to break down these markets when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Would you know what to do in a poison emergency? Would you know whom to call? Well, the answer is poison help. 1-800-222-1222. Poison help is a 24-7 government hotline staffed by poison experts. It's free to call and available in over 100 languages. Every second counts in a poison emergency. Don't waste it wondering who to call. Save poison help in your phone today. 1-800-222-1222. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. While the market hangover is continuing here on this Tuesday as we come back from the 4th of July holiday with the ag markets, they reopened hard at 8.30 this morning and are trending to the downside in the grain trade with mixed action and livestock. Crude oil liquidating down 5.50 a barrel, 102.93. Stock market under pressure as well. We have a lot of economic worry again in the market trade. The strong dollar is out there pushing to new highs near 106. The VIX trading near 29 this morning. 
as we see the Algo computers really just punishing the grain and oilseed sector again here today. It's been a rough couple of weeks in the grains and oilseeds, and we see the massive liquidation of speculative ownership. It did significant damage to the charts as the day trading Algo computers piled on selling pressure and continue to push to the downside. End users are welcoming the lower prices to extend coverage, but they also see little need to actively step in as buyers uh, until or unless the market shows some signs of easing the selling pressure. That's not the case here today. We saw some good rains across parts of the uh, cord belt here over the weekend, and we have more in the forecast here, although the forecast models are not in agreement. But if they do verify, it's going to be another weight on the commodity markets as well. Overall, a lot of downward pressure here as we come back from the three-day holiday weekend. Taking a look at a few of the market numbers, September corn down 27 and a quarter, 592 and a half. August beans, 51 and three quarters lower, 1458. September Chicago wheat down 25 and a half, 820 and a half. September Kansas City wheat down 34 and a quarter, 879 and a quarter. September spring wheat down 38 and a half, 909 and a half. Live cattle for August down 75, 133.85. July lean hogs 115 higher, 110.75. Crude oil down 536 a barrel, 103.07 now. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making us a part of your day here on this Tuesday, July 5th. And I tell you what, what a Tuesday it is in the grain markets, well, and in the livestock markets and in the energy markets, everything, it would appear, is down big today, except for the U.S. dollar index. We'll probably talk about that here with our good friend, Darren Newsom of Newsom Analysis. Darren, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, <laughs> quite a day to be on, Mike, but thanks for having me on again. Well, I tell you what, let's dive right into this, Darren. We're seeing the soybean market down big. We're off 38 to nearly 50 cents here in the new crop. What happened over this weekend to drive soybeans nearly 50 cents to the downside? Yeah, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, some of the biggest players in this factors is what was talked about just before we came on. We had a very wet 4th of July holiday weekend, which historically, as you and I both know, rains over the Midwest over the course of the 4th of July weekend, you see, you see grains go lower. You add to that the fact the U.S. dollar has jumped, just, just skyrocketed over 106 today, the euro collapsing because traders are, are selling the euro on the idea European Central Bank is not going to be as aggressive raising interest rates because it wants to try to avoid recession. Bottom line, dollar gets stronger. And commodities in general, from energies, metals, grains, you know, whatever, are, are getting hit. But the other, the other, the other layer of pressure in in the soybean market, I still think that we're seeing signs of, if not cancellations, then rolling of old crop sales uh, to new crop, which is bearish for both markets, both old crop and new crop. And looking at, at how the, the new crop is shaping up, because it's still too early really to take weather into account new crop soybeans. So there must be something else. And that something else looks to be possible rolling of those old crop sales, which basically removes, takes, takes possible demand off of the table uh, for the new crop market. 
And those prices, Darren, I mean, we've got new crop November beans trading now at 1350. From a technical perspective, what has the past five or six days markets move in soybeans done to the chart? What are your next levels of support? You know, if we just look at this, these are just extensions of, uh, you know, of, of downtrends that we see on weekly charts. So, you know, from a purely technical point of view, if you take all the names and everything off and everything that we think we know about uh, fundamental off. Now, that being said, the next level in no beans, let me pull that up here real quick, uh, looks to be up 13. I mean, nice, even, you know, lucky number 13. Uh, looks to be where it is. Now, a lot of talk is going to be about the gaps down that we see in both no beans and beast corn. That's not necessarily overly bearish. Uh, those could be exhaustion gaps. We don't know yet, but those could be exhaustion gaps because both no beans and beast corn are getting close to support, technical support. And if so, those could be exhaustion gaps. That means it's just the, the last round of selling before these markets start to stabilize. Gotcha. Darren, I want to circle back to the impetus of today's move, that that big currency shift you're seeing, as you mentioned, as they sell euros and buy dollars. I just pulled up a chart of the U.S. dollar index, and it looks like we're up just about one and a half points today in the dollar index. How how common is a move like that in the U.S. dollar value, Darren? You know, I'd like to say it's not that common, but we're seeing you know more and more wild moves all the time. Uh, but we are at levels that we haven't been to since November 2000, what, 2002, something like that. So it is, I'd say the overall, you know, size and, and the magnitude of the, of the move is not that uncommon. The fact that it's still following through on a trend, pretty common, but it does put it into some rarefied air that we just haven't, we just haven't been in for, you know, over, you know, almost two decades. Yeah, I mean, entire lifespan of traders have existed since we've seen the dollar yeah. value trading at these levels. It'll be interesting to see how that plays into psychology. Darren, you mentioned we're very close to a support level here in the Dees corn contract. We're currently at 585 and change. What level are you watching in corn? Yeah, you know, again, just from a purely technical point of view, uh, Dees corn has support down around 565, you know, somewhere between 565 and 570. And the low today looks like it got down to about 571. Corn likes round numbers. And so the fact that we went down, took a look at the next, next round number, 570, hitting the low of 571, you know, we're getting down towards that area. Market, the contract sharply oversold. Again, left a gap down to start this week. So am I saying it's over? No. Do I, I, think we could, I think we could mess around down here for a little while without really going much of anywhere. We could, you know, the door's still open to go a little bit lower. July is the key weather month for corn. Uh, but, you know, as we look at soil moisture maps, deficits across the central plains and even into Iowa and parts of the Midwest, the deficits are still increasing. So, I mean, it's not like these rains have solved all of the problems. They look great on a, on a rain map and all these sorts of things, but actual soil moisture uh, has not improved that much. And at some point, I think that comes back into play. That makes sense, Darren. I've got to ask you a question from the end user's perspective. Dairies, feedlots, ethanol plants, they've been writing big checks to secure their corn, their feedstock. Is this the time to secure some needs longer term for those end users, or do you wait and see, roll the dice on this thing? Yeah, and that's a great question, Mike. And, 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 and I think we, we could start to get some on the books in here. Do I have a buy signal? No. Are we getting close technically? Yes. Are, fun, are fundamentals still long-term bullish? Absolutely. But again, as the, as the previous segment was talking about, we've seen some massive non-commercial liquidation in here. So that may continue. We may see another, who knows, 60, 70, maybe 100,000 contracts come off the corn mark of the corn position. So that, that keeps pressure on the market. But I think we could start getting some long-term purchases in here, you know, break down below that 570, somewhere between 560 and 570. I think we can start getting some on the books for long-term. All right, Darren, I've got a question about trader psychology. So do your best bet, do your best job you can with this question. I, I've just pulled up the livestock markets. We've got live cattle, cattle, feeder cattle, and hogs all down on a day when corn is off 20 cents. What does that tell you about the mm -hmm. psychology inside the cattle market in particular? And, and I'm thinking specifically about feeder cattle. Yeah, there isn't any. Um, I mean, these markets are driven, you know, maybe not so much feeder cattle. It's interesting you point them out, but, but markets in general are driven by computers and Watson has, Watson has no psychology. It has no emotion, has no feelings. 
Uh, it just simply reads the indicators that it's set, that it's created into its, its its algorithms into its equation. Now, you know, but the interesting thing is, last week we saw a rally in the feeder cattle market, but it wasn't coming from the commercial side. It wasn't like fundamentals were all of a sudden getting bullish. What we saw late last week was some non-commercial short covering. This group still holds the net short position. They're pretty comfortable with that. So when they step out of the market and commercials are still selling, based on fundamentals, feeder cattle go down. Gotcha. So that's what we're seeing today. It's just that carryover from last week's move. Yeah, you know, we're just seeing you know, the, the commercial side did not want to follow, was not following the non-commercial short covering. They're still bearish. And so, you know, the minute you start to get a little crack in the activity from the, from the non-commercial side, you know, commercials take over. Now, looking at the spreads today, what's interesting about feeders is we're not seeing a lot of commercial selling. So this is actually just the flip side of the coin. We saw non-commercials buying last week. They're selling again this week. It's going to make for an interesting uh, set of commitment to traders reports next Friday because it'll, the data will be pulled at today's close. And I'll be interested to see what they do with their net short position. What, what will you be watching for, Darren, on that net short? Just trying to see if they're getting more confident about the economy and that would indicate they're lifting some of those shorts? Yeah, you know, I'm thinking they're still going to be holding a net short in the feeder cattle, which is one of the few commodities where, uh, where non-commercials are actually holding a net short. So if they do cover a little bit based on last week's activity followed through into today, that means, you know, maybe they're just, maybe they're just bringing it back to par. But what will really be interesting is if they add to that net short. At the same time, fundamentals are bearish. Now you've got both sides selling. That really opens the door to some more downside in the feeder cattle market, regardless of what's going on with corn. All right. That makes sense. Darren, I want to turn our focus just briefly, if we can, to the energy sector. Again, the volatility here, Darren, is just eye-watering to yeah. me. We've got crude oil, West Texas Intermediate August contract down $5 today already. Yeah. I assume this is just still that macro trade being driven by computers, perhaps overreacting? Yeah, I think we, I think we can say that. Um, We've also entered that time frame. And, and, and we have to remember, the market was three, almost $4 higher overnight, you know, uh, you know, Monday through overnight into early Tuesday morning when all of a sudden the dollar shot up. So now we've got this five, $6 sell, just an incredible trading range today. And it's probably a lot of its funds, funds you know, tied to the algorithms, tied to the stronger US dollar, but we're still seeing some commercial selling. And so it, it tells us seasonally we've reached that time when driving is supposed to slow down we really haven't seen it yet but it's supposed to start slowing down if so we could start to see demand start to wane a bit for crude oil and then we had last week's announcements from opec where they're going to stick with their august increases uh, for oil output doesn't really do anybody any good uh, because by the time we get to august you know demand isn't as strong anyway so we'll see how all that plays out just looks like again as you said both non-commercial commercial selling today both sides selling crude oil and really there's just nothing underneath it giving us a good vacuum trade in here all right with nothing underneath it do you think there's still some more downside ahead in crude darren or have we pretty well plumbed the depths you think we'll touch today you know crude oil the, the energy complex as a whole has a very each individual market has very difficult monthly charts you go back to what is that march when we posted our spike high yeah march when we posted our spike high since then, we've traded within the March range. We have not been able to take out March high or low. So we've just been consolidating. It's a huge range, but we've been consolidating within that. So we won't really get a signal until we were able to break that out. Right now, it looks like they may want to try it to the downside based on seasons, based on selling. All right, folks, that's what's ahead. Darren Newsom of Newsom Analysis. You can find him online at darrennewsom.com. Darren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me again, Mike. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We'll talk about a Supreme Court decision rendered last week. Stay with us for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. 
Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference, bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are kicking off an all-new program called The Monthly Grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 12th for our big kickoff. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and will share all of the details surrounding The Monthly Grind. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 12th. It's a show you don't want to miss. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Joining me today is Jason Schwantz, Senior Vice President of Refined Fuels at CHS. We're going to talk about current fuel price and supply. Welcome, Jason. Now, tell us, what is causing this recent surge in fuel prices? The recent surge in fuel prices has been uh, twofold. Uh, one, coming out of kind of this COVID-type demand, things really, really got hard on refiners. They cut back. Things weren't getting produced because there wasn't enough demand out there. And with that, you know, along with that came some really, really low fuel inventories. Now we're kind of coming out of COVID, and you see people are traveling. There's a lot of packages going out via Amazon. We're seeing a ton of fuel demand causing some of these issues. The other thing is you have the war that is going on in Ukraine is also causing some issues because we're exporting some fuel over to Europe to help them out. That is causing fuel supplies to get even lower, especially on the diesel side, we're seeing that. Jason, how is CHS positioned to support farmers with this high price and this tight supply? We're actually positioned really well. Our two refineries, we have a refinery in Laurel, Montana, and one in McPherson, Kansas. Uh, we're actually running those refineries as hard as we can, trying to get as much diesel fuel out of them. Jason, tell us, what can farmers do to minimize the effect of their current fuel prices are having on their operations? Anything you can do to prepare ahead uh, for these high fuel prices. I think if you work with your local cooperative, you can take advantage of some of these dips in prices, get your fuel priced out, get it delivered, and make sure that you have the supply that you need there. That's Jason Schwantz, Senior Vice President of Refined Fuels at CHS. And folks, thank you for joining us around the table. To learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership, visit cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. 
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. The past several weeks, we have seen a lot of headlines generated by decisions at the United States Supreme Court. Of course, we had a guns decision several weeks ago. We had an abortion decision here a couple weeks ago. A lot of those things are driving headlines, but we've also seen some interesting cases that touch on ag be decided. Last week, we spoke with Todd Neely here on the program about the couple of cases that were pending uh, between Bayer, Monsanto, and the Supreme Court in response to their various legal issues. You can tune into last Wednesday's program to hear that discussion. But another decision came out on Friday, excuse me, on Thursday, June 30th, and this was a decision in the case West Virginia versus EPA. This was a closely watched case for a lot of folks inside the regulatory state here in this country because it really determined just how much authority executive branch agencies have when they're promulgating rules related to laws that Congress has passed. Specifically, this rule was in uh, was put into place in 2015 under President Obama, the Clean Power Plan, and it was encouraging utilities to shift their power generation from coal and natural gas fossil fuel sources to clean sources of energy. And this rule had been batted back and forth. It had actually been pulled. And finally, the Supreme Court gets to hear this case, and they announced some new things that could create wrinkles for regulators. Importantly, this ruling was decided on a 6-3 basis. The court's conservatives largely ruling in favor of this ruling and the uh, the liberals generally dissenting. Sotomayor, Breyer, and Kagan all dissented in this case. And what they held, the key change that was made, was the major questions doctrine. This is the idea that Chief Justice John Roberts brought to the table. And the idea is, quote, we presume that Congress intends to make major policy decisions itself, not leaving those decisions to agencies, end quote. So what the court is asking is that when executive agencies have goals they want to meet through the regulatory process, if they're bringing something new to the table, that was the wrinkle in this case, was the new power generation rather than regulating existing pollutants from power generation, then Congress would have to make a law specifically allowing that agency to pursue that end. Of course, in agriculture, we can think of lots of ways this could touch on us, given how broad the USDA's purview is with regard to agriculture. EPA obviously going to have to do some reconsidering after this. And in fact, OSHA and several of these other federal agencies will have to reassess, did Congress give them the authority to write the regulations that they are trying to write? This is a discussion that will be with us, I think, for some time. And it will be curious to see how this impacts law and regulation creation in this country. Definitely a big shift from where things were prior to this decision being released. We've also got some news more broadly on the U.S. economy. We heard at the beginning of this show from Glenn Tonser there at Kansas State, U.S. consumers pulling back from the meat case just a little bit. He mentioned 31% of consumers are willing to pay the higher prices for meat, but on the margins, we're seeing consumers step back, spend those dollars elsewhere. In a lot of cases, they need it to buy fuel to get to and from work. This is a trend that is being reverberated throughout the supply chain. There's an index compiled by logistics managers. They very cleverly titled it the Logistics Managers Index. And what they're doing with this index is measuring the pressure that the supply chain is under. They look at costs, they look at timing and delays, um, put all this together to try and figure out just how tight is the supply chain situation in this country. And back in March of 2022, just four short months ago, it hit a record 76.2. That is the tightest supply chain uh, index we have ever seen. Since then, it has declined and it dropped again to 65 in June. So we're down almost 11 points in this index from March. And that is indicative of what we've seen in the overall economy over the past three months. The report went on to say that we have been moving from record-setting expansion of the economy over the last 18 months to the, quote, greatly subdued level of growth observed throughout the second quarter. Up until 2022, we saw high demand for transportation and warehousing and difficulty building up inventories, June's report is the opposite. So we are starting to see U.S. consumers take a back seat. And in fact, this was highlighted by another finding that came out on June 30th from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. 
U.S. consumer spending. It fell in May for the first time in 2022. And importantly, I think for a lot of the discussions we've been having about inflation, prior months were revised lower as well. What this means is that when these headlines get reported, U.S. consumer spending up two-tenths of a percent, et cetera, et cetera, well, now those headline numbers are being clawed back, and we're seeing those be brought down for the past two and three months, even though they're still positive until we get to May. We're seeing that authorities had maybe overestimated consumers' willingness to purchase goods and services out there in the economy. It turns out that inflation at six plus percent is actually starting to drive them away from the economy. Core PCI price index increased three tenths of a percent. That was less than anticipated month over month. However, year over year, it was up 4.7 percent, a huge number. But the report notes that, hey, is the smallest gain since November. So perhaps we are starting to see this inflation epidemic slow down. Bloomberg did a survey of economists and they have said they expect to see a three-tenths percent decline in inflation-adjusted spending from the prior month as we get in to the end of June. They do believe these higher prices are going to continue to push consumers to change the way they are buying goods and services out in the economy. We are seeing this play out, as Darren Newsom mentioned in segment three, stock are certainly lower, treasury yields have eased, and we are seeing the markets continue their volatile behavior. It should be noted that while the spending component of this report disappointed expectations, there was still an indication of strong demand. Demand for services notably proved resilient. So these are hairs, this haircuts, going to a bar, going to a dry cleaners. Most of the stuff we were banned from doing during the pandemic, we are still seeing very strong demand from for consumers to get out of the house. Hopefully that'll continue to drive restaurant demand and we can keep folks paying high prices for high quality protein. Folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Tomorrow we'll be back. We're gonna talk with John Sandbachin about the sunflower industry and Arlen Suderman about the markets. We'll see you then for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org.